Murder and Moonshine, a true crime podcast with a southern twist. Hey guys, welcome back to Murder and Moonshine. This is Christy. And this is Misty. And today, it is a Christy-centric episode. It is. And I'm excited to tell y'all about this. It, it is a sad story, but it's going to take us back to the 80s. Mm. And that was, you know, when we were growing up, back to our time. Yeah. So, I sent some leg warmers what? and some headbands. <laughs> <laughs> that was a lot of the 80s. That's not in the story. However, mm-hmm. that makes me think... About the rabbit hole I ended up on TikTok. Oh, no. What's the wrong side of TikTok you've ended up on? You want to know mine? Aerobics to rap music. <laughs> <laughs> yes, bitch. <laughs> yes. I love watching aerobics to and rap so music. And so I'm picturing like these people dressed in like 80s type aerobic Total gear. Total leotards, head to toe. Got them leg warmers. Yes, ankles, headbands. Headband, everything. And they are kicking and mm. strutting and it mm. is straight ghetto rap music. <laughs> it's my favorite. It sounds amazing. It is. <laughs> I get sucked into the animal voiceover videos. That one, that one guy? Yes. Bitch, I know exactly who you're talking about. <laughs> I cannot even begin to imitate his voice. I know, but he is so funny. He is so funny. But I, I love, love his voice. Yes. And I don't even know what his name is or anything to even give him a shout out. But if you listen to any animal voiceovers, I'm sure you've, you've heard, heard him. him. You've yeah. heard him. Yeah. I love the one where there's that one fat dog that's yes. laying there. But He's that like, other I don't want to be fat like boo-boo. Boo-boo, <laughs> yeah. And the other little dog keeps zooming by. Yeah, those voiceovers are great. Are great. You know what else is great? What? This Sugarland peanut butter and jelly moonshine. PB and J. 70 proof. And we did taste it because we got to check it for poison. Right. You never know. It's kind of cold today. It is. We felt like the studio was cold. So we thought instead of turning the heat up, Let's just take a little bit because we're going to we warm you right on anyway. Right, yeah. Right. Yeah. So let's go ahead and fill our cups up. I got us ready. Sweet. So while you're filling your cups up with coffee, water, protein, Pepsi, shakes. Pro, oh, protein or just straight fucking liquor. <laughs> Like us. Now's the time. And while you're doing that, we're going to give a shout out to Christy Stang. Yes, bitch. Thank you for listening. We appreciate you being obsessed with us. And Christy, your name is spelled correctly because it's just like mine. You're another ISTE just like us. All right. Here we go. Cheers, bitches. Mm. Mm. That's really good. Okay. We have one more order of business before we dive into our story. Right. We need to introduce our newest country, Slovenia. All right. What? All the way in Central Europe. We had to look that up. I'm not even going to lie. I did. I did. I did. I found out you're in Central Europe. You speak Slovak. And I we're going to welcome you. We're going to welcome you, but I literally cannot pronounce anything in your language. I am so sorry. My tongue won't make that shape. That it, it just takes <laughs> to make that sound. It's like a half paralyzed tongue here. We introduce every country by saying fuck. And we, fuck with love. This is fuck are, with love. You welcome. are so fucking welcome to our show. <laughs> yes. And she's going to make me try to say this. Yeah. So I hope I'm not butchering it. Oh, you're, de- you're definitely going to butcher it because that's what our southern 
accent does. does. But well, here it is proper first. Korovs. 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 Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I on. think I was trying to imitate the actual, like, auto-sounding voice that come out of instead of like saying it like you naturally would yeah you would Cor- naturally Cor- say that anyway Korovs sound like saying Clorox Korovs yep well yeah <laughs> at least fuck is the only word we have to say in Slovak could you imagine trying to read your trigger warnings in Slovak no. like a full-on sentence I could barely read these in English yeah there's no way yeah yeah same same, same. Same. Trigger warnings for our story today are child abduction, mm. child kidnapping, child sexual abuse. Um, so if any of that is really hard for you, which a lot of it is, that all is of it is, it's hard shit. for me. Yeah. Then we get it. We get it. We get it. We, we get hope it. that you check back in with us if this is not your episode. Our story today is on Eaton Khalil Pats. Mm-hmm. And his name is spelled E-T-A-N. So it's like Ethan without an H. Eaton. So okay. in my southern dialect. Eaton. I say Eaton. So as like if this, we're eating. Right. Eating. But as this liquor kicks in, as the moonshine kicks into my tongue, mm-hmm. he's going to go from Eaton to Eaton real quick. Yeah. But that's who we're talking about. But that's who I'm talking about. Because I feel like that will be the same digression that I make. <laughs> So just know, I'm not eating anybody. I'm talking about little Eaton. Eaton. But the tea is going to get sloppy later. Yes, it will. As the story We're going to be eating later. (laughs) I get it. (laughs) Eaton Khalil Pats was born October 9th, 1972 in Manhattan, New York, to proud parents Stanley and Julie Pats. The family lived in Manhattan in a loft building near the corner of Prince Street and West Broadway. The couple had two other children as well, a daughter, Shira, and another son, Ari. Shira was older. Mm-hmm. Ari was younger. Gotcha. So Eaton was the middle child. On May 25th, 1979, Eaton was six years old and getting close to the end of his first year of kindergarten. Every day since school started, Eaton's parents would walk him the two blocks to the school bus stop. But on this particular morning, Eaton was very excited because he finally talked his mom into letting him walk by himself for the very first time. Mm. The shaggy haired blue eyed little boy was wearing a black future flight captain pilot hat, a blue corduroy jacket. Blue jeans, blue sneakers with fluorescent stripes. He packed an elephant-covered tote bag with his favorite Matchbox toy cars and had a dollar to buy a soda. He stepped outside onto New York's familiar streets. Standing outside the cast iron building that morning, Julie watched her son walk half of the two-block journey to his school bus stop at West Broadway. Right, and I could totally see it's two blocks. She's watching him halfway. Yeah, they've He's been begging. walking him all year. Yeah. And the other kids get to walk by themselves. It's right. Two He's begging to be a big boy mm-hmm. and go and mm-hmm. stand two blocks at his bus stop. And yes. he should be able to do that. But considering this is your story. Yeah, un- unfortunately. I feel like an ominous. Yeah. Unbeknownst to Julie, this would be the last time she would ever see her son. Mm. Eaton never got on the school bus. Oh, no. At school, Eaton's teacher noticed his absence but did not report it to the principal. Julie and Stanley didn't even realize their son was missing until later that day. Mm. 
because right. they just assumed he went to the bus Made stop, to got school, on the bus. Yeah, right. and there's not cell phones. Mm-mm, mm-mm. So when he didn't come home from school, they're right. like, something's wrong. They contacted the school and realized he had not been in class that day, that he never even got on the bus that morning. When Julie was given this news, she immediately collapsed because her, lo- her legs gave out from under yeah. her. And the couple immediately called the police. So I can't even... Devastation. So I can't even imagine. I can't... You're sick Six-year-old baby. Yeah. The first time you ever let them walk by themselves and they never made it to school. I can't imagine. I can't either. At first, the detectives considered the Pats to be possible suspects. Um, I assume they do that with all missing children cases. Whoever's closest. Whoever's closest you look at. But quickly determined they had no involvement whatsoever. The New York Police Department spared no expense. They dispatched 100 officers with bloodhounds, helicopters. Everybody came to search for this missing boy. They went neighborhood to neighborhood, door to door, conducting room by room searches. Wow. Yeah. Eaton's father, Stanley, he was a professional photographer. So he had tons of pictures of Eaton. Could mm-hmm. he he would use his kids as his muse. Yeah. Which absolutely. We love our kids more than anything in the world. Well, There's nothing more precious. I mean, look precious. how many pictures we would have on our phone of our right. kids. There's nothing like more precious. Unless you have teenagers that, that won't let you take yes, their pictures. Yes. Yeah. But so he had a bunch of real time current pictures of each which come in handy absolutely so his father started displaying them everywhere everywhere and when we're talking manhattan so even in 79 i mean it's uh, it's that's just a small part even though it's huge right right small part of new york absolutely They even had his pictures in the district attorney's office Mm -hmm. and his photos were projected in Times Square onto the sides of buildings. Wow. This is where it gets interesting for us growing up in the 80s. Mm -hmm. Eaton was the first child that was printed on a milk carton (gasps) that was distributed nationally. He was not the very first kid to be on a milk carton. I think they've done that since like the Old West days. But for it to be distributed nationally to bring attention... Eaton was the very first child. Wow. And that resonates with us because, bitch, how many times did we hear growing up, all right, your ass is going to end up on the side of a milk milk carton. carton. That's right. How many times did we hear that? All the time. Yes. Yes. Eventually, I mean, everybody in every state Mm -hmm. had been distributed a picture of Eaton. And I mean, it was given such national news because... This is just a six-year-old little boy going to school. Right. And it, it was, was two so, blocks from so his senseless, house. So senseless, right? And this is such a permanent thing in so many people's lives mm-hmm. that was absolutely unnecessary. So every this resonated with everybody. Yeah. It, it had captured the attention of parents, you know, far beyond New York. I mean, this was... This was the whole U.S. Yeah, because everybody that has kids sends their kids to school or if How they're not homeschooled. Not? Yeah. Right. So that does resonate with a bunch of people. Yeah. The search continued for weeks. Neighbors and police canvassed the city. They placed missing child posters featuring Eaton's portrait, but this resulted in very few leads. In 1983... President Reagan even designated May 25th, the day of Eaton Pat's kidnapping, as National Missing Children's Day. His case then inspired the founding of National Center for Missing and Exploited Children in 1984. Wow. So, I mean, even though Eaton had to go through what he did, Mm -hmm. 
he inspired his his story. Right. It lives on in legacy. Absolutely. And it helps other children from having to go through what he went through. At the time, a full five years had passed since his disappearance, and most of the leads had gone cold. Right. Assistant United States Attorney Stuart Graboys. That's a mouthful. And I really don't know if I'm saying that right, but we're going to call him Graboys. Received the case in 1985, and he single-handedly identified Jose Antonio Ramos, who was a convicted child sex abuser. And he was also a friend of one of Eaton's former babysitters. Oh. So the attorney Graboy named him as the primary suspect. Okay. Prior to receiving this case in 1982, multiple boys had accused Ramos of trying to lure them into a drain pipe mm. in a neighborhood where he was living. Oh, my God. So when police searched this drain pipe, they found some shit. Bitch, if you say they got the clown mask from it. No, okay. no. It would actually be worse than that. Mm. They found pictures of little boys. <gasps> They found toys in a sexual nature. No. Even some homemade. (gasps) Nobody ever likes homemade sex toys. Ever. 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 It's almost like he specifically does. How can I say this politely? Don't say it politely. It's like he made them smaller so they'd fit the kids better. Oh, my God. Fucking what a piece of shit. Like psychotic. I can't. You're going to have to tell me at the end of this that he is dead or he is getting his asshole blown out every day. Well, he is in prison. So I do hope that they know he's a pedophile. That his ass done been ripped so much that the hemorrhoids won't even stay I don't know why that brought me so much joy. That's horrible. What is wrong with this? No, no, I think it's great. I think it's fucking great. So anyway, while they're in this fucking drain pipe, they find all this shit and they find these pictures of these little boys, one of who really resembled Eaton. Mm. So I think that's when Graboy made his mind up. I mean, if you've seen, if you had to witness all that and like. He needs to go to fucking jail, whether that's. He was involved. But like the attorney, the attorney general that was having to decipher through all this shit. Mm. I think that's why he focused on him so much because what he did see just scarred him. Just yeah, absolutely. Him you know he, court. you know what he's doing. Right. You know what he's right. doing with that shit. He needs to go regardless. Right. So Graboy wants to talk to Ramos. Obviously. Yeah. I mean, that's who he thinks. One hundred percent. I mean, that's a valid, valid reason for him to think that. Yeah. So Graboy finds out that Ramos is actually in custody in Pennsylvania in connection with an unrelated child molestation case. So this motherfucker just all over the place. Yeah. Abusing children. Right. So in 1990, Graboy was deputized as a deputy state attorney general in Pennsylvania just to help prosecute this case against Ramos. For sexually abusing these children. He was on a mission. Yes. And he wanted to try to get more information about Eaton's case. Because he thinks this is his primary suspect. When he was first questioned, Ramos stated that on the day Eaton disappeared, that he did, in fact, take a little boy back to his house and rape him. Back to his apartment. And raped him. Oh, I hate him so much. Ramos said that he was, quote, 90% sure, quote. It was the boy who he saw in the pictures in the TV. Mm. 
Not However, even a hundred percent sure. No, ninety percent. However, Ramos did never he never used Eaton's name. And he also claimed that he did not kill that boy, that he put that boy on a subway going uptown. Um I wouldn't believe shit that come out of his mouth, his filthy fucking mouth. Right. In 1991, while Ramos was incarcerated, a jailhouse informant told Graboy and the FBI that Ramos had told him he knew what happened to Eaton. Ramos even drew a map of Eaton's school bus route, indicating that he knew that Eaton's bus stop was the third one on the route. Oh, oh. In a special feature on missing children in the New York Post reported on October 21st, 99, Ramos was still the prime suspect in Eaton's disappearance. Ramos was well known by the Pats family and he was their prime suspect all along as well. But early in the 1980s, authorities just were unable to directly connect him or link him right and prosecute ramos right they didn't have forensics like we do today yeah. so uh ramos has never to this day been criminally prosecuted for the murder of eaton but tell me he ended up somewhere well ramos denied that he killed him denied that he had harmed him other than maybe he was the kid I took back to my apartment and raped. I'm not sure. But that's not harming but him, even, stupid. No, that's oh. not harming him. And even if I did do that, I didn't harm him. I, I put him on a bus uptown. So Liar. He did serve a 20-year prison sentence in the state correctional institution in Dallas, Pennsylvania for child molestation. He was released from prison on November 7th, 2012, but very soon after his release, he was arrested again on Megan's law violation. Go ahead and ask me. I know you're looking at me. Megan's law is basically... The law that you have to register as a sex offender. Oh, so he didn't register. So like, right. Like the definition is it enables members to report potential sex offender violations, including failure to register violation of employment or residency restriction laws, parole, probation violation, offenders in positions of trust with children. Right. Things like Basically, he did not register like he was supposed to. I don't he's care a, if he's, he's a violent. Strong. Right. He needs to be He doesn't up. ever need to be out. Well, he is currently still incarcerated. Oh, okay. Good. Good. So I feel like... We should just pause right here and take a little shot in just honor. Just to celebrate that that POS is locked up. And getting ass raped every day. In the shower and in your cot when that special visitor comes I hope comes he's been by. shivved a few times too. In the kidneys. <laughs> Cheers, bitches. Mm-hmm. Mm. Okay. As the decades went by, law enforcement continued to investigate Eaton Pats's disappearance throughout the 1980s and 1990s. Did I say that right? 90s? Did I say 19 titties? What did I say? <laughs> I don't even know what I just... It was a weird form of 90s. Okay, I'm not going to lie. My mouth is still burning a little bit because I didn't <laughs> drink anything. I was trying to play it off. <laughs> okay, not 19. Let me hold on. <laughs> 1990s 90s. see we work together we can do it okay in Teamwork. the 90s the clues they had received took them as far as middle east germany and switzerland oh wow so i mean they spent decades looking for this kid they really yeah. did yeah 
In 2001, 22 years after his disappearance, Eaton Pats was declared legally dead. Stanley and Julie pursued and won a civil case against Ramos in 2004. They were awarded, and I say this with air quotes, symbolic sum of $2 million. So yes, they won the case. Yes, they were awarded $2 million, but Ramos don't have $2, much yeah, less $2 He ain't $2 got a million. pot to piss in. So they have never collected any of that money. But every year on Eaton's birthday and on the anniversary of his disappearance, mm-hmm. Stanley Pat, Eaton's father, would send Ramos a copy of his son's missing child poster, and he would always put on the back the same message. What did you do to my little boy? Oh, So twice a year, his daddy would send him a yes. picture of Eaton wanting to know what he did to his little yeah. boy, just to make look him look at, his at face. it. Yeah, if, if you don't think about my kid the rest of the time, you're going to see his face at least on those two days. Right. I get it. Later in 2012, I mean, we're talking like a decade each time some more news mm-hmm. comes up about this case. Um, the police realized that Othiel Miller, he's a handyman who had also known Eaton, had poured concrete at a house in the basement for the floor very shortly after the boy's disappearance. Oh, no. So they thought, you know, I know this was... A long shot? Long shot. It was a long time ago. Mm. But let's go take a look in that basement and see what we find. Unfortunately, they found nothing. They did dig dig up quite a bit of concrete. Like, they didn't use equipment. Like, they didn't destroy the house. But I saw the pictures of the agents, like, carrying big chunks of concrete right. out at a time. Could you imagine you bought a house and all of a sudden, one day... An FBI agent shows mm-hmm. up at your door and they're like, hey, we think there's a body in your basement, possibly. We think there Can could we be. check? We're going to need to rip that shit up. <laughs> I can't. I can't imagine that. Of course I would be like, yes. Uh, I would be I, like, um, absolutely. 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 Bring this child some peace. If yeah. There. But unfortunately, but they I, didn't find anything. However, this excavation did reignite like media coverage Mm -hmm. because obviously this was a big deal in the suburb we're talking manhattan yeah um this did lead some people to report some new tips one of these tips would eventually lead the investigators right to the person they were looking for authorities received a call from jose lopez who claimed that his brother-in-law pedro hernandez was 100% responsible for Eaton Pats's disappearance. What? Jose reported that on the day Eaton disappeared, Pedro was 18 years old working at a bodega right at Eaton's bus stop. And a bodega is just like a little corner store. Yeah, yeah. And let's not forget, remember, Eaton had a dollar for a soda. <gasps> yes, he did. So it would have been very fathomable for him to have stopped in that store. Yeah, the bus isn't there yet. Let me go in there and grab a drink. Mom gave me this dollar for sure. me to get a drink. Kids ain't gonna waste no time. Heck no. Jose told investigators that in 1982, Pedro had admitted in an open church confessional what that he had killed a young boy. <gasps> the church and the family decided during this meeting that this confession to God was enough and they did not need to involve the police or ever tell anyone else. So oh, we're going to stop right there. Oh, my God. 
Oh my God. So you're telling me he stood up in front of his fucking church and his family and said, I killed a little boy. And they're like, well, you know what? God forgives. Yes. Just keep your mouth shut. 100%. What? That the only confession he needed to make for his sins was to God. He did not need to tell the police or anyone else. Oh, well, they're just as culpable. Oh, my God. Could you? The worst part, I mean, it's horrible enough that your child is missing, but the mm-hmm. not knowing. Exactly. That's what. 20, what, 22, 20, how many years you said? Okay. How many decades you're sitting there wondering what, what happened to your kid? What actually happened to your child? And you have a whole fuckload of witnesses. So this Okay, he was abducted in 79. Right. And so by 82, Pedro had told everybody. Everybody. <gasps> I, I know. They are they are horrible. Maybe maybe somebody ought to tell his pastor or his priest or what the fuck ever that it's going to be pretty fucking hot down there. I agree. I I'm, I mean, yes, he needs to confess that to God. If that's his, his belief, yeah. Beliefs, if that's his belief, and clear his you conscience. Know. But you do the fucking same for that family, that child's family, and, and that, that child. means going to the child. police, right? Yeah, Amen. you really want to be redeemed? Then do the right thing. Do the right thing. Yes. Although I don't know, can you ever be redeemed for doing that to a child? In my eyes, no. I mean, if that but were I'm my not child, God. I'm not that they did that too. I would never forget. I want to watch them burn. I want to hear them scream. Right. I could do it myself. Yeah. I'll light the fire. And no, have no remorse. Yeah. Absolutely. So. I could sit there and eat some popcorn and watch you burn. I hadn't even told you what he did to this kid Mm-mm. yet. I already hate him. I know. I know. I know. <laughs> like, Pedro's family knew he did it. They've known he's done it for, you know, since fucking 1982. And while it's on the news again, while it's being reported back again and brought back up again, his family started talking about it again. They're like, you know, I know it's 2012, but back when 1982, I know this motherfucker said he killed his child. And you know what? You know he's still a piece of shit and he's been a piece of shit since 82. It's not like you go and you're going to kill a kid and then all of a sudden you're just like an angel. Right. The rest of the fucking time. Right. And he didn't. He didn't. After his family starts talking about it, this is when Jose gets involved and he's like, no, I'm going to fucking tell the police. Brother-in-law or not. Yes, Jose. Pedro, you're going to jail. I'm telling on you. With all the information that Jose had given the police, they bring in Pedro for questioning. Police interrogated Pedro and he confessed right off the bat that he had lured Eaton into the bodega and down into the store's basement with the promise of more matchbox cars to go in his elephant bag. (gasps) Oh, he's so horrible. Once he had eaten in the basement, he said, and I quote, I grabbed him by the neck and I started to choke him. For whatever reason, I just kept going and couldn't stop. Pedro then said that he put Eaton's body in a plastic bag and placed this bag inside a cardboard box, walked two blocks away and left it in a pile of trash beside a dumpster. Pedro also claims that Eaton was still alive when he threw him away. What? And those were his exact words. He was still alive when I threw him away. Oh, my God. We are talking about a six-year-old baby. 
That is so horrific. So he suffocated in the bag. Apparently, if if you want to believe Pedro that he was, that actually, he was actually, alive. actually still yeah. alive, I would question that because that would put him at risk. Because what if he started making noise or something while he's out on the street or something like, like that? Somebody's not going to yeah. notice. Yeah. Um, Pedro also denies that he ever sexually abused Eaton. So. The question remains, why? What was your motive of luring a strange, a kid you've never met before into a store down to a basement just so you could choke him and watch the life go out of his eyes? Yeah. Mm -hmm. That doesn't make any sense. But then again, no crimes like this do make sense. So, 33 years. Oh, my God. After Eaton's disappearance, police finally made their very first arrest in the case. This was with Pedro's statement. Um, Not only did he tell the police, but he told this same story in sequence. There was never any. So it never changed. His story never changed. There was never any wavering in his story. And he told this several times, once to the police, once to a counselor, once while he was being um, videotaped, interviewed, Mm -hmm. and then during the trial. And it was the same across the board each time. But it was 33 fucking years later. His family ought to feel shame. Or anybody else that heard that, even if you're not family, anybody standing in that room that heard him confess in 1982. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. In that church, wherever y'all are. Yeah. Shame on you. Yes, absolutely. Even with Pedro's confession, that's really all they had was Pedro's confession. Right. So with just his statements, the trial was actually a long one. The defense team argued that Pedro, who by this time was 56 years old, so he's done lived a full fucking life. Yeah. He was 18 and took a six year old. Right. Yeah. He suffered from a mental illness, and I'm going to try to say this right schizotypal personality disorder. And there's so many of those different disorders, and it's so different now. It's hard to keep up with everything because what could have been a term for a mental illness then? Well, this now is, but granted, be, this was in 2013. Oh, that's when he got that yes. diagnosis. Okay, okay. I thought he that's had been diagnosed as that, and that's what they brought well, up. Well, that's what his lawyers are that's trying to That's what the defense claim. team, right. Okay, gotcha. Right. And if you're wondering what the schizotypal personality disorder is, it makes it difficult for him to distinguish between fact and fiction. Mm. Between make-believe and reality. And I'm going to be honest with you, I didn't even know that was a thing. I mean, obviously, if you're schizophrenic, mm-hmm. then I, I know you see things have hallucinations. Right. right I get right. it. <clears throat> this schizotypal disorder is also called STPD. And it's a mental health condition marked by a consistent pattern of intense discomfort with relationships and social interactions. People with STPD have unusual thoughts, speech, and behaviors, which usually hinder their ability to form and maintain relationships. See, and I am so not a professional. And right. and getting into mental illness is like it's such a broad, broad yes. spectrum it can be of so things. many different yeah. things. So that gets confusing. But I just found it very interesting. That almost sounds like it's on a spectrum, like autism, like, yeah, like he, socially he doesn't awkward know and what's really happening or what's make believe happening. Yeah. It's, it's just it sounds I mean hard for me to understand. Coming from his perspective, I think he's bullshit. Mm. 
makes me want to say the same. His lawyer reminded jurors that Hernandez had an IQ of 70. Mm-hmm. So he was not a very intelligent person. They suggested that police had used questionable tactics when interrogating this man, considering he was mentally ill. In other words, they argued he'd been convinced into admitting something he didn't do. Except in 1982, when he told, told the church, his congregation, and his family, and his family. That he did do it. Yeah, I guess they were defending like he had that mental illness illness, illness. back then as well. Well, I'm sure he did. But I'm just, I mean, and this, I know I'll probably get some hate for this, but you killed a six-year-old. I don't really give a fuck. You go through the rest of your day and you know something's right or wrong. And obviously he did know right from wrong. He, it weighed on him enough that a couple years later he told him at church. Right. Why was he at church? Why was that weighing so heavy on him that he confessed and told everybody? Because I think if you're really crazy and your mental illness has you do something horrific, then you don't take you don't steps any, to cover it Right, up you don't have any empathy for it. You probably don't even it. remember it happened. Or you think you're another, so justified there's no need to hide it. True, or, you true. Know. Like you were in the right. Yeah, yeah. I get it. His lawyers were basically telling the jury he convinced himself he was guilty. Yeah, I don't buy that at all. At all. I still go back to 1982 and everybody in your church knowing. And your family. And and your, yeah, yeah. Pedro's defense team also pointed back to Ramos. They're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. He was the primary suspect. He was the one in the drainage ditch with the pictures of the little boys. So we really think Ramos had a clear motive and Pedro was just coerced into admitting something he didn't do. I think they're both sick fucks and and Ramos deserves everything he gets. He gets as well. But it sounds like Pedro does too. The prosecution team introduced witnesses who said that Pedro had made similar confessions to the people at a prayer retreat shortly after Eaton disappeared. And a retreat, too. Yes. So now we go back to like 1979, 1980-ish. It doesn't doesn't give you a a clear date, but it was prior to his church confession. Oh, my. What is wrong with humans? What is wrong if I'm at a retreat and somebody stands up and says, well, I killed a kid. He was only six years old and I just wanted to. I don't know. Maybe see what see it felt like, it felt or, like or, or just or choke a human out. I, I, and I we would just be like, you know what? God forgives you. <laughs> Love, like and peace, brother. Fuck you. I can't. <clears throat> On the I first can't. break, I'm going to be like. <laughs> Nine one one. This motherfucker right here. He is there. He here. is officers. I don't know. Right there. He is officers. I'm going to try to get more out of it, but somebody needs to come on down here. <laughs> then you gonna hit record. I'm gonna get all kinds get of shit. Get a confession on camera. I don't understand how all these people can hear something like that and at least not check into it. Oh, also in addition to these witnesses. His former wife and a separate childhood friend testified in court that Pedro had told them the exact same thing in the early 80s. I'm just flabbergasted right now. He has admitted it to this many people and every single person has told him, God forgives you. It's okay. Don't tell anybody else. So fuck it. He didn't tell anybody else. 
I mean, how many people you got to tell oh. before somebody convicts you? And he never got Apparently, convicted. in his case, doesn't. Right. Right. That blows my mind. This trial ended in 2015. Mm-hmm. And it ended with a deadlock because one jury member believed Pedro was innocent. However, they had a retrial that took place in 2017. The second jury was convinced. Pedro was found guilty of murder and kidnapping on February 14th, 2017. I think that was the right decision. Yes. I, absolutely. I, I, again, how many people do you have to tell that you did this before you're held accountable? accountable. During Pedro's sentencing... Um, Eaton's father, Stanley, he spoke in court and he stated, Pedro Hernandez, after all these years, we finally know what dark secret you had locked in your heart. You took our precious child and you threw him in the garbage. I will never forgive you. And the God that you pray to will never forgive you either. I'm not going to lie. Go ahead, dad. Not going to lie. I'm with Stanley on this. Yeah, absolutely. I know God forgives you, but I... I don't have love in my heart to forgive somebody for just randomly killing my kid a child and throwing him out like no, trash. It, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I can't. Uh, yeah. I can't. Yeah. Pedro stared straight ahead during sentencing. His face betrayed no emotion whatsoever. And he was sentenced to 25 years to life. But you got to remember, he was 56 right. at this time. Right. So 25 years could very well be his life right. at this time. At a news conference outside the courthouse, Stanley said the sentencing brought an end to the uncertainty over Eaton's fate, which he and his wife thought would never come. There were so many false leads, so many blind alleys, so many years went by, and we didn't know if we would ever know what happened. Now I know what the face of evil looks like, and he's finally convicted. Wow. That, I mean, it, I couldn't imagine the not knowing. Right. And I can't fathom that. Because Pedro says, you know, I put him in a bag, I put him in a box. Apparently, we're going to assume that it was this trash was taken to the landfill. Sure. And, yeah. of, and they will never. He's probably 100 feet under trash. Yeah. Ab- ever. Yeah. And and there's no telling how many bodies are actually in the landfill. You 100 fucking so. percent right. You're right. For 40 fucking years, Stanley and Julie never moved they never changed their phone number and they kept Eaton's room the way it was oh. the day he did for 40 years. And they did this all in the hopes that they one day just come their son would reach out or return home. Oh, that is so heartbreaking. It is heart oh my gosh. After Pedro was sentenced and he's back in or, you know, in prison for good for now, Julie and Stanley sold their house they quietly sold their house their loft on prince street and they relocated to hawaii and the reason they did this is because one of their other children lived in hawaii who also had children so they left to be close to their child and their grandchildren um according to streeteasy.com the family's 2350 square foot loft on prince street sold for um $3.75 $3.75 million. Yeah, in New York, that doesn't surprise me. On Manhattan. Me. Yeah, in Manhattan, that doesn't that doesn't surprise me. And but good for them. I hope that they are enjoying life, life in Hawaii. Right. And I hope that they love it. With their it. two remaining kids, their grandkids. And I hope that they're at peace, for sure. At least they know, even though Eaton's remains have never been found, it, 
it's got to bring some kind of peace to be able to get to that just and, and know to just know what happened. Yeah. Gosh, we need to take a shot. Oh, yes, girl. We need to take Fill a shot. It up with that PB and J. I'm ready. Here we go. Cheers, bitches. Um, that just ran down my face. <laughs> <laughs> Party foul. Party foul. Yeah, I that is heartbreaking. That is heartbreaking. And uh I this okay, the reason I even stumbled across this, I'm not gonna lie, I was looking for murder mysteries. I like a good mystery. Yeah. Of a cold case never being solved and then that DNA comes back and they're we fucking got you now, motherfucker. I love those. Yes. But when I came across poor little Eaton and saw those pictures of this child. And how precious he oh looks. My God. And then to find out he was the first kid on the milk carton. Yeah. How many times have I been told I'm going to end up in a milk carton? It just resonated you dodged with it, girl. Me. You made it. I did. I did dodge Ain't nobody going to put 43-year-olds on a milk carton. <laughs> if I go missing now, they're going to be like, damn, thank God we get a vacation. <laughs> that was a tragic story. Especially as a parent. Heartbreaking. Heartbreaking. So on a lighter note... We do have ghost stories coming up Thursday. Our last installment of ghost stories yes. for this season. And then we have my story coming out on Halloween. Halloween day. So I am still working on that one, but I promise it's going to be a good one. I can't wait. Tune in, check us out. I'm sure it'll be twisted. You know, I try. <laughs> I try. You usually <laughs> succeed as well. Well, on that note, we hope that you keep listening. Be good, stay out of trouble, or don't get caught. Bye, bitches. We hope you keep listening and find us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok at Murder and Moonshine. We would love to hear from you. You can send us an email at murderandmoonshine at gmail.com. Bye.